It's time to rock and roll. So let's get on with the show. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. All right, so like we often like to do here on the Grown Up Rock Podcast is we like to sort of recap our adventures with Monsters of Rock. So it's been the Monsters of Rock cruise up until now, and we've done pre-parties and recaps on all of those adventures, but now we have a new adventure to talk about. With COVID and everything else, the Monsters of Rock cruise didn't happen last year, so they replaced it this year, sort of replaced it with a Monsters on the Mountain event that was held in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee this last weekend. And so you might be saying, like, what in the world? What is in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee? Well, of course, Dollywood's in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. What else? No, but for real, it's a beautiful town. It's a touristy town. It's in the Great Smoky Mountains. And this time of year is absolutely beautiful with the trees turning colors and things like that. So it was really kind of a really cool backdrop for a rock festival, essentially. It was a three-day rock festival covering October 15th, 16th, and 17th. It was just myself and my wife that attended this year. The usual people like Hollywood, he wasn't able to make it because he's going on the Kiss Cruise and the same from uh, Steve Wright and the Potter and Hell podcast. But I still wanted to recap the adventures and talk about what went on and give people sort of a perspective that didn't get to go to this. I'm going to talk to my wife a little bit later on in the show and get her perspective. But for the beginning of this, I brought along a friend who's been on many Monsters of Rock cruises. I met him through another podcaster when we did an interview with Brian Forsyth and Mark Schenker from Kicks, Jeff Lavelle. Jeff, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. So you recovered from uh, this past weekend's adventures, right? I did. I did. It was a little bit of a struggle driving home for nine hours, but we made it and it was uh, 
It was good. This was not the easiest place to get into. It wasn't a major city, but you took the adventure, climbed in a car uh, with your lovely wife and did a road trip from New Jersey down to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which was roughly, what, a nine-hour drive? Is that what you said? Yeah, it was about nine hours. Yeah. What was your take on it when they first announced it? Were you in no matter what the lineup was? Yep. Uh, my wife and I both said that's exactly how we felt. As soon as they announced it, where it was at, we're like, that's it. We're in. We know Larry's not going to disappoint either way. You know, he's definitely going to have a half decent lineup regardless. So we were in from the beginning. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so let me start with this. What were your thoughts on the venue, including the areas that the bands played in? So it was held at a place called the Lacante Center. What was your feelings the, around that venue? Yeah, Stephen, I really was actually surprised because that's the first time I had seen. I've been to Pigeon Forge a million times in my life, but that was the first time seeing that venue. I'm, I'm assuming it's fairly new. Um, at least it looked really new. Beautiful venue outside, inside. Not what probably a lot of people are thinking of when they think venue. They're thinking like uh, kind of a stadium or something inside. It's not like that, but it's more of, a, I guess, what, a conference center, would you say? Yeah, a big convention center, a big conference center. It's yeah. something where they have like um, expos, right? Big expos. Exactly. Now, as far as the inside, I was blown away by the, the massive size where they actually had the shows inside the rooms and stuff. Dual stages, side by side. So when one band got done, the other band could already be set up and ready to go. Right. And even with those huge dual stages like that, the place was still massive. So I, I really, really liked the venue itself. I thought it was a great place. I love the layout inside. You know, they had more than enough seating for that many people. Right. Now, they had an outside area. What was your feelings about that area? I liked it. I'm thinking like, you know, hey, it's the first one they've ever pulled off. So they'll, they'll, they'll see, you know, where they can improve, you know, if they had any mistakes and sure they'll learn from those. I think the outside lacked a little bit, but I, I'm not really complaining about it. I guarantee when we go to the next one uh, next year in August 2022, they'll definitely make some changes for the outside. Yeah. How about your thoughts on the city and the area itself? What were uh, your feelings around Pigeon Forge and the surrounding area? I like it. I like the Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg area. Pigeon Forge is getting a little, getting pretty big. Yeah, they're getting a little too built up for for my likings. Yeah, but I still love the place. But like I said, I, I've had family down that part of Tennessee, so I kind of grew up down there. You know, as a kid going down uh, and visiting and stuff. So yeah, I know I heard a couple people come complaining about traffic and this and that, but I never, yes, there is definitely bumper to bumper traffic at times on the, on the main strip, mm -hmm. but you know, the entrance to our parking lot where the Lacanti center was that strip runs parallel with the main drag too. And there's really no traffic on that. I think we were even joking the first night uh, on Friday, once we let out that we were walked out, got in our car and we're on the road back to our hotel in about a 15 minute time. I said, you know, if, <laughs> if this was a venue back home where we were going to a concert, we'd be sitting in the parking lot for an hour and a half trying to get out. So yeah, I'm sure you, obviously you noticed too, that they're building right behind the Lacanti center. They were under construction with brand new hotels there as well. So yeah, that's, that's I'm, obviously they'll be completed by the next one. So yeah. How about the band lineup? What was your thought on the band lineup? Uh, I was happy. I was totally happy. You know, I know a lot of them we've all, all seen on the cruise yeah. you know, multiple times. And I kind of gave you th that feeling, or at least me, it did and my wife anyway. It was almost like a little mini Mork. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was like a, a little mini uh, Monster Rock Cruise for us. So yeah, 
I was definitely happy with that. I'll give the rundown real quick. So on day one, it was a new band called Native Sons. Then it was followed by Heaven's Edge, John Karabi, Kingdom Come, Kicks, Night Ranger, and Vince Neil. That was day one. It got started a little bit later on in the afternoon since it was the first day. And pretty solid lineup. I mean, if you look at it, that's a pretty solid lineup. And like Jeff said, it's it's sort of these are all people that you would most likely see on a Monsters of Rock cruise at some point or another. So no real big surprises with that lineup, but pretty solid lineup. And for you, who was your day one uh, highlight? I mean, my normal go-to would be Kicks because they just are amazing every time I've seen them. Yep. I would kind of leave them out of that category because I would just naturally pick them because they always put on an amazing show. Right. I'll tell you what, as far as new music, I really enjoyed Native Sons. Yeah. I thought they put on a good show. They sounded fantastic. It's nice to have a little new new music put in there with the bunch. Night Ranger was fantastic. Now, that was actually my first time. I think my wife's seen them before, but... That was my first time seeing Night Ranger live. Wow, really? So I was, yeah. So they were definitely one. I was like, I cannot miss any of their set. I said because I've wanted to see them, haven't seen them live. So I definitely enjoyed that. How does that happen? <laughs> because you're a rock fan and you live in the New Jersey area. Because they're a band that's pretty much on the road constantly. So how do you not yeah, see Night Ranger before now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I think my wife had seen them a few years back maybe before we uh we got married or something but i've never seen them live holy cow um, so that was definitely a, a highlight for me to catch them wow uh, to catch them live wow day two so day two gets kicked off we got anthony quarter that's starting off things then you've got rhino bucket vela la vela which will explain what that is john karabi jeff scott soto jason beeler pat travers firehouse winger tesla uh, and Tesla was pretty much the headliner and they finished it off. But then you had a band called Signal 13 that sort of did this little after party thing that was uh, right after Tesla. How's the day two lineup stack up for you? Day two. Again, it started off amazing. I know you and I were and our wives were we were watching Anthony yep. do an acoustic set. You know, he got moved inside because uh, of the rain, which was fine. But you picture them throwing him into a room, a smaller side room that wasn't necessarily the best acoustics yet he sounded unbelievable that early in the morning i actually liked it better i thought he sounded amazing and i thought to be yep. honest i would have been okay if they'd have put all the acoustic acts in that room because to me it sounded yeah. good yeah he sounded amazing absolutely yeah. amazing rhino bucket that was another one i know we had talked to talked to brian about you know doing double duty yep. yeah yeah <laughs> at monsters and again that was the first time I had never uh, seen Rhino Bucket live. Have you have you seen him before or no? I've been a Rhino Bucket fan for a while, but this was actually my first opportunity to ever see them live. Cool. Yeah, I think they really got everybody amped up for the day to kick it off. As usual, Tesla, Winger, amazing jobs. Yep. I, I got to see Karabi do his acoustic set outside because yeah. it had cleared up by then. And it was fun to watch. Jeff Scott Soto and Jason, I thought, not only does Jeff Scott Soto sound incredible with his vocals yeah but they're just a fun <laughs> if, if, if anybody's ever got a chance you just gonna see them do a little set together you, you got to check them out uh, because they are just funny and, and, and talented at the same time any standouts for day two for you like was there a, a standout for you like i said i know i know the usuals a winger tesla but actually yes pat travers played day two right uh-huh pat travers with day two i i was 
excited to see him. Okay. And, um, and he really, he really didn't disappoint me. I, I really liked him. I'm glad I got to catch him finally live. He's another one I haven't seen live, um, but I've wanted to for a while now. Did you miss him on the, um, the Monsters of Rock cruise, the cruise before last? Yep. Yep. Totally missed him. And I wanted to see him. Um, and I talked to some other people who, who did catch a show on the boat and that they really enjoyed it and stuff. So I was like, that's it. I got to see him, check him out. Like I was up pretty close to the stage when he was playing and he just really just gets into it. And you can just see, he just goes kind of goes to a different place when he's playing. Like he is in deep. Uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed, uh, Pat Travers. Uh, and I really enjoyed, uh, Jeff and Jason. I thought they were fun and entertaining. Like I said, and that's not taking anything away from winger or, uh, any of the other guy, big bands that play, but right. I've seen them enough. I know they're always usually almost flawless. Yeah. Uh, so it was nice to see a fresh mix at this uh, Monsters on the Mountain and uh, with some really other talented musicians as well. Day two was kind of the pinnacle of the festival because uh, with bands like Winger and Tesla, I think Tesla was roughly the headliner of the entire festival. That was the biggest name at the festival and probably had the biggest crowd of the festival. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, that's definitely accurate. If anywhere's up closer and you look back to see the amount of people that were in a venue of that size. I think there was pretty much everybody that was, uh, had a ticket to monsters on the mountain that weekend was there that for that concert for Tesla. Yeah. So day three, we get to day three. The lineup is paradise kitty, which is a guns and roses tribute band, Randy Hansen, um, who to me is kind of, uh, like a Jimi Hendrix, maybe a Stevie Ray Vaughan sort of in that vein. Exactly. Uh, Liliac, Black and Blue, Bullet Boys, Soto and Beeler again, Vixen, Slaughter, and then Great White finished it off. And then they had like an after party thing from a band called Hardwire, Hardwired, sorry. So how about day three? How did that stack up for you? Uh, it was pretty good. It was a nice, nice close to the weekend. Yeah. You know, we got out of, actually, I think we finished the day up slightly early compared to the other days. Yes. I think we were out of there by not counting the little after party thing. I think it was finished up by what, like eight o'clock, 8 p.m. or something that night. Yeah. That day was, it was a more relaxed day for us. Uh-huh. Um, we just kind of took our time getting to the venue and, and looking around more while we were there at some, some of the merch and stuff like that. Um, some of the vendors. So I, I we kind of missed, we missed uh, Paradise Kitty. We missed uh, Randy Hansen. Um, I did want to see Liliac because I'd heard a lot about him. Yeah. And we actually ended up missing them. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So our first band, I think that I think Black and Blue came in after them, correct? Black and Blue was right after was right after Liliac. Yeah. So that was the first band that we call of the day. Okay. Um, on Sunday. And, you know, Jamie, I thought was fantastic. Uh, sounded great. They got everything kicked off. Uh, Bullet Boys enjoyed their show. They you know, put on a killer show, get everybody just energized and amped up Then slaughter and great white, which I really like Mitch with his great white. I, I've seen him before. I've seen him look, you know, on the, on the cruise ship and I've seen him at pre parties for the, for Mork. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So for day three, I think, uh, my overall, I think great white was my, uh, they were the perfect band to close the day out, kind of bring it back down. And, uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed that with them. Cool. As far as the schedules go, you were good with all the band schedules and everything, the way each day was scheduled? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, it was less rushing <laughs> and less sacrifices that you had to make uh, compared to the cruise. Right, because everybody was sort of side by side and really just when one band finished, the next one started up. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So overall, 
what are a couple of things that you really loved about this festival? I think you probably already alluded to one, which was the stage set up and the schedules, right? Yeah, that was, that was, that's exactly it. Um, stage setup was absolutely, I loved it. The side by side, full size stages, they weren't small. They were, you know, really good size. Yeah. So that was definitely, uh, I really was happy with that. Yeah. Anything else you particularly loved about this entire event? Well, it's just nice to be out at a big festival again <laughs> after being locked up for so long. Fair enough. <laughs> so I don't think it would have taken too much this time around to uh, to get me pretty uh, hyped up for it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did love the venue and I did love the setup they had inside for the stages. Awesome. Anything in particular that you disliked about this past weekend? Nothing. I wouldn't say that I disliked anything. I mean, there's plenty of room for improvement. Sure. You know, on a lot of different things. You know, I'd love to see them get additional vendors for next time i'd like to see a little bit of a larger food selection so this way you didn't really you can only eat so many hot dogs in a day (laughs) you know this way you you don't have to uh, necessarily go off campus even though there's tons of other stuff outside the the venue you don't necessarily want to have to leave the venue you got back-to-back shows all right. Well, so overall, this event was pretty successful to you. I think uh, depending on the schedule and everything for next year, uh, you would be in again. I, I'm already in. <laughs> as soon as the tickets go on sale, I'm, I'm, I'm buying. Uh, just had a great time. Yeah. And we'll see you and your wife in February, no doubt. Absolutely. We'll see you guys then. Well, we're looking forward to meeting up with you guys again there down in Miami. It should be a blast. And uh, Jeff, I appreciate you uh, giving us uh, your uh, thoughts and your perspective on the first annual Monsters on the Mountain Festival because we had a great time. And part of having a great time is the community and you're part of that community. So thank you. Yes, thank you. It was great uh, hanging out with you guys a little bit. And uh, thanks for having me on. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Welcome back to the Growing Up Rock podcast, my lovely wife, Jennifer. What's going on, Jen? (laughs) Just here to have fun talking about this event. It was a blast. Yeah, so I figured it's always good to give people that don't get the opportunity to go on a Monsters of Rock event at least give them insight as to what goes on, what our perception is. Most of it is our opinion. Uh, So you can form your own. All of it is your opinion. Yeah, that's true. All of it is my opinion. And uh, so that makes it right in most cases, right? (laughs) No, bumpkin. You believe that. (laughs) The rest of us know the truth. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, it's correct. Music is so subjectional anyway, so it's your opinion. But that way you can form your own opinion as to whether or not it's something that you would like to do. And honestly, the Monsters of Rock or the Monsters on the Mountain is a good opportunity for people to kind of experience the uh, community and experience what it's like without shelling out all the money that it costs to go on a cruise. Or dealing with seasickness if you're one of those folks that just doesn't really want to get on a boat for that reason. But let's, I mean, let's definitely talk about that community because I think that is the one of the things that was unique about that. And we definitely experienced it on the boat. I mean, you kind of can't avoid it, right? You walk into an elevator and uh, standing next to a rock star and you walk into 
uh, grab something to eat and <laughs> here's another rock star. And you just get to know all the fans, right? If, especially if there's bands you like to see and you want to see them both times they play on the boat, you're going to see those same people a couple different times. So can't lie, that was one of the fun aspects of Monsters on the Mountain was getting a chance to see some of these folks that we haven't seen since uh, early in 2020. Yeah, and I mean, there are definite differences in the Monsters of Rock cruise and the Monsters on the Mountain, without a doubt, because like you said, and for those of us that are just kind of getting into the show or just listening to the show for the first time, go back in our archives because we've recapped each one of the Monsters of Rock cruises. So there's two recaps and even uh, pre-party recaps of the Monsters of Rock cruise with myself and Hollywood, and even Jennifer and Steve Wright from the Potter and Hell podcast, along with BC, have taken part in those recaps. So it gives you a good idea what the cruises are all about. But we wanted to give you a recap because the Monsters on the Mountain, this is the first one they've done. So it's the inaugural season of Monsters on the Mountain. And they basically put this together because it's been so long since we cruised because of the pandemic, they wanted to have something to sort of bridge the gap. And I think overall, as you're going to hear, it was pretty successful for them because they've, they've agreed that they're going to do it for a second year. And I think it is just a good thing in general to bridge the gap between the cruises because the cruises happen every February. And so a year is a long time. And you make friends with a lot of the people that are in the community because they like to have fun. They're into a lot of the same rock and roll that you're into if you go on this cruise or go to this Monsters on the Mountain, right? For sure. And uh, one of the things that's so great is you know, for us, this was occurring in uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, not a very far drive at all for us out of Atlanta. Beautiful drive, uh, for sure, coming through the Great Smoky Mountains. Couldn't get more picturesque. Uh, that's a treat alone. Who actually likes traveling <laughs> normally to an event? Normally, you're stuck in traffic and hating life. And uh, this, we were seeing uh, the Great Smoky Mountains in fall, in all their glory with the uh, colored leaves and just uh, incredible views. I mean, it really was a, a nice drive up and a nice drive home. So I have to say that's one thing that made this event a little bit different than when we get off the cruise. I mean, let's face it, you get off that cruise ship and you're just so sad to leave. I mean, we knew we had that drive to look forward to, it kind of softens the blow a little bit. For us, that was the case because we live in Atlanta. For a lot of people, I think it was a little bit of a hassle because there are no major airports in Pigeon Forge. So if you have to fly to this event, you're literally going to have to fly into Knoxville or Nashville and basically drive down to Pigeon Forge, which I think it's within a couple of hours, but it's not it's not like it's a 30-minute drive. Yeah, and, and for sure, we were not hearing uh, any uh, good experiences around Ubers and Lyfts, and that was not exactly easy or plentiful. So definitely 
for out of towners. So you you would do want to think about how you prep for this. It may be the kind of thing where you want to throw a day or two on the other end and and make it that kind of an adventure where you can enjoy the area versus turning it into just about coming to the concert. And I think this is definitely something that's beneficial to those that can do a road trip and drive. Because if you have your own vehicle, I think you're going to benefit greatly. We stayed in a VRBO, which is essentially the same as the Airbnb. But we stayed in that VRBO and we had essentially a small condo. So we had access to a kitchen and, you know, refrigerator, full kitchen, all that stuff. And it was roughly about a mile from the LeConte Center, which is where the event was held. And so us being able to go back and forth to the condo in our car was a huge, huge value. Yeah, big convenience. So definitely a little bit different than uh, just stumbling back to the room after a show. But I would uh, I would say we, we enjoyed it and had all the comforts of home. Yeah. So for this venue and the area that it was held in, Pigeon Forge is essentially a tourist town and even sort of a family tourist town. It's where Dollywood is. They have a lot of different um, exhibits and things like that that you can do there in Pigeon Forge. We actually were able to go in March of this year because we just wanted to see the area and everything before they even announced, I think, Monsters on the Mountain. We went to Pigeon Forge. And we enjoyed it, but I don't know if it's something that I would travel to and stay just to do it without an event there because we don't we don't have a bunch of kids and it's not something that, you know, we've been to a dozen touristy towns like Myrtle Beach and things like that. And so I, I don't know if this is really necessarily our jam on normal, right? Yeah, you kind of avoid the Ripley's Wax Museum and, (laughs) I mean, biblical times. I know that dinner show was calling to you, but. (laughs) Dude, this is no lie. There was a sign. They have all these dinner shows, dinner theaters, dinner shows in the area. And there was one place that was called Biblical Times Dinner Theater. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's something that literally is right up my alley. <laughs> I can wear an Iron Maiden number of the B shirt there and just attend <laughs> Biblical Times. What goes on at a Biblical Times Dinner Theater? That's what I was like most curious. Like, is it like Moses parts the Red Sea and throws a, a dinner roll to you or what? Moses went to the mountain and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. Deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punished you, forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord. Lord. I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15, 10, 10 commandments for all to obey. 
What, what do you think goes on there, Ben? I think that you'll be disappointed no matter uh, what happens there, because I think you want it to be like South Park the Musical. <laughs> oh, my God. I just I can't even imagine. Anyway, the mountains are beautiful. The area is beautiful. And so for that alone, it's worth going there. And personally, my feeling is that it was done at the perfect time of year. October, the weather is starting to get cooler, but it's not freezing. Uh, the summer heat is is gone. The uh, humidity is low, and we we had literally three outstanding days of weather. Just beautiful, beautiful weather in the Smoky Mountains. I don't think we could have asked for a better thing. I think it rained Saturday morning, Saturday yeah. morning, and Anthony Corder from Tor Tor was due to play acoustic outside, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. And they moved him inside, but that was really the only change. Yeah, that was a, uh, he, I couldn't agree with you more. Exquisite weather, beautiful location. And, and I have to say the LeConte Center, I've been in way too many convention centers. Part of being uh, in marketing is going and doing events and, Nine times out of ten, I mean, let's face it, there are big cavernous open rooms, right? Cement floors. Uh, I didn't have a lot of expectations around the acoustics. I didn't uh, necessarily have great expectations around how that would be set up. And I was actually very impressed. It was a, a very nice convention center. Uh, I think it actually benefited by not being attached to uh, a hotel chain, which I'm, I'm kind of surprised to even be saying that. Uh, but they did a, a very nice job of laying it out, beautifully maintained, and kudos to the Mork team for the job that they did, getting those stages set up and, and having it you know well-planned and well-thought-out. As she said, the LeConte Center is just a big convention center. It's freestanding. It's not attached to anything. It's fairly new from what I could understand. It's like, uh, I mean, and you can tell it's it was really brand new looking, very new. So I don't think it's more than a couple years old, maybe two, three years old. I think it's actually like eight years old. I want to say really? I looked online and it was like built in 2013. Okay. I, don't hold me to it, but. Yeah, uh, it is still, it looked really new. It's well really maintained. Nice. Yeah, well maintained. So that's attached to, well, it's not attached. That's within walking distance uh, to this area that had lots of different shops and Margaritaville uh, Hotel and just places to eat and things like that. So within, you know, a, I don't know, uh, three, 400 yard walk basically down this pathway to all of that. It has a huge parking lot attached to it, and all the parking was free. So that was super easy as far as we were concerned. Although, like, on Friday night and Saturday night, it gets a little crowded in the parking lot because that parking lot is also parking for the Margaritaville and all those shops and stuff that we talked about a few minutes ago. But other than that, they had side-by-side -side stages so they essentially had this one big huge convention room they had two massive stages that were set up side by side and tons of seating uh, so that was the main area 
They had bars set up, things like that. And then off to the side was another room in which they had vendors like people selling rock and roll artwork and a couple record labels. Birdhouses. <laughs> rock and roll birdhouses. <laughs> candles they had it all yeah they had they had a bunch of stuff and and so it, it was just a well planned out thing one band would play they would finish and you just shift to your right or your left and the next band would start up literally within probably five ten minutes of of each other there were a couple delays but nothing major yeah and i really like that setup i uh was thrilled to find places a little bit off to the side of the stage so just not stage center right either stage left or stage right and i gotta tell you never more than a few rows back i mean without having to cram in uh or be pressed up uh against the vip area so i uh, love that it retained that same intimacy that you get in the monsters of rock cruise venues because uh, i always think that was one of the biggest draws is you mm -hmm. You're so close, and you're you're really feel feel like it's uh, almost like a private show when you get into those venues. And uh, surprisingly, it didn't feel like a, a big venue, uh, but there were tons of people. I mean, when you see the pictures uh, of the crowd, you know that a bunch of the artists took from the stage. You can see there it is a well attended show, but definitely really uh, feels intimate. Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, they sold somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 to 4,500 tickets to this event, which over the span of three days, obviously, all 4,500 people weren't there for every minute of all three days. And if you think about it, basically, the cruise ships hold somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 to 4,500 people, including the bands and crews. So... 4,500 actual paying people is probably a little bit more than what the cruise would bring in. And for me, by far, Saturday and Saturday night was probably the most crowded, right? For sure. Yeah. Uh, you could feel it when you'd go back out on the, for lack of a better word, concourse, uh, the area outside the actual um, concert uh, venue they'd had where they had kind of food vendors and uh, it was a more of a carpeted area and you know let's face it it lobby. was a great yeah lobby great place to just really chat you know talk about the set talk about what you like say hi to people that you hadn't seen for a while or that you ran into uh, previously on the ship so yeah I think also the acoustics in the venue being that it was just a big old open room with huge walls and huge ceilings i would have sort of it expected it to sound like a big boom box and if you were in the back of the room it did not sound great but if you moved up to where there were people it sounded fine there was definitely a big difference so i'll say this <laughs> Well, we'll get there. Hold on. I, I won't jump too far ahead, but there were some acts that did not sound great when we were listening at the very back of the room because we were either on our way out of the place or just kind of hanging out and chatting, and they didn't sound great. And then you'd talk to somebody who was up in the middle of it all with people, and they'd be like, oh, it sounded great. So you just have to take that into account when you're attending this thing, right? So let's talk about the bands. 
The difference between this and a Monsters of Iraq cruise is that on a Monsters of Rock cruise, they literally have 45 to 50 bands that are playing two sets throughout the cruise. There's no way you can see all 45 to 50 bands, not unless you just like go from one band and catch two songs and then move from an, from that band to another to catch two songs, something like that. Then probably you could see it all but that's not advisable. That's really a bad idea. So you have to kind of pick and choose who you want to see on the Monsters of Rock cruise. With this, you literally probably could have seen everything. They all play once, but their times are scattered so that nobody really is overlapping. There might have been a couple of things in the acoustic side of things where somebody was doing an acoustic set out in the parking lot that overlapped with somebody that was playing electric inside, right? Yeah, very little overlap. I think I would agree with you. For the most part, you could have seen everybody that you wanted to see. I think I think there were also a couple bands that did play twice, right? Uh, Soto and Beeler were twice, but it was uh, for sure the type of thing where the they had a main stage and it was just about the... Uh, yeah, it was the acoustic people that played uh, more than once. So Jeff Scott Soto, Jason Beeler, John Karabi, and they had this thing called... Uh, what was the name of it? Villa La Vela, which was essentially... so. We described, I'll tell you what Vela La Vela is. So we described the area inside where all the main electric bands played. Out in the parking lot, they had a smaller stage where acoustic performers, for the most part, would play. And Vela La Vela was essentially these three or four guys in a convertible car that had a drum set and a PA as part of the car, and they would pull up and just jam metal tunes out the back of their car. And it was something that I thought was super original and super interesting, but it was something that literally after a couple songs, you were kind of like, at least I was, I was kind of like, okay, that's cool. But yeah, not, not great. <laughs> well, he figured out the gimmick. He was kind of like, okay, you didn't hook me with the music, just the gimmick. <laughs> No, because, you know, they're playing riffs from from metal songs and stuff like that. And uh, just my personal feeling was it wasn't greatly performed, basically. It wasn't like, you know, I don't know. It just wasn't. But it was the perfect for the uh, spirit of that yes. that stage area. Yes. I mean, here you are out in the middle of the parking lot. Sun is absolutely beating down. Yeah. I mean, even though the air temperature was not that hot, yeah. it was freaking hot yeah. in the afternoons. Yeah, cuz it's on asphalt. Yeah, it was it was it was hot. And so, I mean, it was a perfect uh I think it was a perfect fun energetic piece for for that stage area for that place in in the area. I will say I I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't put the same degree of thought into that stage area or and I shouldn't say the same degree of thought. I'm sure they put a lot of thought into it. Uh, it just didn't come off as well as the inside area came off. Uh, that riser couldn't have been more than a foot off the ground. Yeah. So uh, as soon as those acoustic performances, which were all seated, Most you couldn't them, see yeah. over anybody's heads. You right. didn't even know who was on the stage. Uh, I thought that was a miss. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was uh, a miss to have the the tents way out in the back. Great thought behind it insofar as 
yeah, if people are talking and shooting the shit, you don't need that bleeding over um, into the event area. On the other hand, it also meant that there were very few people hanging out anywhere near the stage. Uh, I thought those performances were not well attended. And, you know, I'm sure if you're one of the five people that were being serenaded, it felt fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't doesn't get more intimate a show than that. You yeah. know, you and 20 of Jason Beeler's uh, closest friends. But uh, very few of the shows, to me, uh, had very impressive audiences outside. Yeah. Day one was a band called Native Sons, their new band. They, you know, we'll talk about them in a minute here, but also Heaven's Edge from Philadelphia, John Karabi, Kingdom Come, and then the bulk of the lineup for day one was Kicks, Night Ranger, and Vince Neal. And by now, probably a lot of people have heard that Vince Neal got through three, four songs and fell off the stage and broke some ribs. We'll talk a little bit more about that and how that came off. But overall, for day one, what did you like? Check-in was very easy. So Check-in couldn't have been easier. Liked just having the opportunity to kind of explore a little bit more leisurely in that uh, they didn't have... Until the evening, they didn't have shows packed one on top of each other where you were going directly from one to another to another. I think they knew there were a lot of people that were traveling in. I thought Native Sons put on a a good showing. Ashton Blake is a great singer and certainly tons of personality. You know, I'd definitely check them out a little bit more. Babe, I can't sit here and tell people that you're not really into rock because you're not. And then you start going and calling uh, members of the band's names out by by name. What's up with that? He's posting in the Monsters of Rock group, so it reinforces it. Plus, he was shirtless. I mean, hello. All right. So (laughs) this is just taking a turn for the worst. Anyway, (laughs) the bottom line is, is that my wife, she's really not the knowledgeable piece, but she's sort of like a sponge. So by proxy in her, you know, vicinity around me, she's absorbed a whole bunch of information, (laughs) useless information, I might call it. So, yeah. Proceed, babe. Proceed. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell them about the shirtless Ashton Blake and how Native Sons were. Go. Yeah, I thought they put on a great show. I enjoyed it. Um... Listen, I want to tell you all. I want to tell you, you've been a dynamite audience, and you deserve to give yourselves a round of applause. Let's go. All right. And these guys were really accessible to the fans. They were out having a good time all throughout the days. whole festival. I absolutely would say that that they are immersing themselves in this community and really are doing what it takes to build them themselves up as a band. Yeah, I have to admit, I haven't spent a whole bunch of time with the Native Sons record, but I understand almost everybody on the record is not who's in the band now. I know that Ashton Blake, the singer, is the one main guy that was on the record and is in the band. But the band overall, not knowing the music all that well, I liked what I heard. I thought they put on a good show. They were the kickoff band for the festival. Uh, and so I enjoyed it enough to go back and really spend some time with that record because I thought the the music was rock and I thought they put on a good show. So uh, I agree. Check out Native Sons. Next up was Heaven's Edge. She and I, along with our friend Steve Wright from the Potter and Hell podcast, caught Heaven's Edge on the second 
Monsters of Rock Cruise back in 2020. I thought that they were really good. They're very choreographed, and I enjoyed the first Evans Edge record that uh, they put out way back in the, I think it was the 80s or early 90s. So I enjoyed them. I was looking forward to seeing them. Unfortunately, we missed them this time around just because we couldn't check into our condo till a certain time, and it was a whole hubbub. Yeah, we were we were still getting our uh, getting things down, so had to get checked in. I think we caught a, a little bit of, of yeah. one of the songs, but just yeah. to, just enough to realize that, like, wow, we blew that timing. Yeah, this is what we caught. Thank you. Good night. That's what we caught from Heaven's Edge. You're welcome. I was like, God damn it. Uh, so then uh, John Karabi came on. We caught some of his set. He was uh, playing out in the parking lot, I think, right? Yeah, he looked day. like he was baking. Yeah, from the sun, not from anything else. Let me clarify that. He was baking from the sun. Yes, exactly. But yeah, John Karabi did his thing. I always enjoyed John Karabi's set. You know, he's just uh, fun. The mayor, as they call him. Hey, kids, this is John Karabi, and I'm hanging with Sunny Hollywood Pony, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast. Turn it up, kids. See ya.
I think we went and caught dinner and came back and caught maybe one or two songs from Kingdom Come. Yep. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not the hugest Kingdom Come fan, so I really didn't care whether I caught them or not. We caught some of their set back in 2020. I think they played the Monsters of Rock pre-party, if I'm not mistaken, in 2020. And I think they're on the boat this year. Not this year, but next year in February, they're on the boat. So it wasn't a situation where I was like, oh, if I don't see them, you know, whatever. And then the first band of the night that I'm always excited to see played, which is Kicks. And <laughs> yeah, we like us some Kicks. <laughs> Kicks is just a solid, well oiled rock and roll machine, man. They never disappoint. And they didn't disappoint this time. They, and then they've got two people sitting in with them that aren't part of the band. They had Will Hunt from Evanescence playing drums because their normal drummer, Jimmy, suffered a heart attack, I think, 12 days before this thing, they said. So they had to pull in a drummer. Luckily, Jimmy is, he's fine and, and recovering, but they needed a drummer to fill in. So Will Hunt from Evanescence sat in and then on guitar, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the guitar player's name, but the guitar player filling in for Ronnie Youngkins because Ronnie's in rehab, uh, he did a fine job. So uh, they didn't miss a beat, in my opinion. What do you think? Uh, I, you know what? Steve Whiteman is just the most incredible performer, and uh, it was so fun uh, meeting some friends of his after the show. I think that was on day two, and uh, talking about you know, how much he enjoys performing and getting ready for it. And he just is is a pro up there. When we were waiting for the show to get started, you saw I had uh, a friend that <laughs> sat next to us. Not really a friend. It was somebody that made friends with me immediately. But uh, he couldn't have been more excited to talk about Steve Whiteman and thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's true. Little gimmicks like that where he says, hey, look, show me you're out there. Let me know that uh, you appreciate what I'm doing. And when I say thank you, you're welcome. And I love that. It's a, a little bit different than the usual call and response. Uh, he's just an impeccable performer. And uh, the band sounds tight every freaking time. Those those songs are fun. It's This is one of the shows I really enjoy seeing uh, every single time. Hey, 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 I'm Steve Whiteman from Kicks, and you are rocking out with Growing Up Rock Podcast with Steve and Sonny. Crank it up! She was licking my fingers and 
took me around the world. Night Ranger was up next, and it's been a while since I've seen Night Ranger, so I was excited to see them. They recently put out a new album called And the Band Played On, and it's another solid release. Their last three albums that they've released over the course of the last five, six years, to me, have been very, very consistent. This was no different for me. I thought they sounded great. My only personal issue with Night Ranger Live is that I really wish they would quit doing like Damn Yankee songs and Ozzy songs and Alice Cooper songs. Now, they only did a couple of Damn Yankee songs. And don't get me wrong. I love Damn Yankees. I don't have an issue. But the problem is for me is that they have plenty of catalog, Night Ranger catalog that I truly love and would love to hear them do. And they don't do a ton of Night Ranger catalog, which in a short one hour set, and I'm not even sure they played an hour. I think they might have played like 50 minutes, but they didn't do enough Night Ranger catalog for me personally. But the stuff they did was awesome. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm 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 not the hugest Night Ranger fan. That's one of those where if you're playing a, a radio hit that I recognize, I I don't really care if it's yours or not, but I I take your point. I came came to see a Night Ranger show. I, it makes sense to be playing Night Ranger. I think the thing for me is uh that's where for me, the full-on production value, the fact that Monsters uh, on the Mountain was actually setting up a really killer production really kicked in and hit home for me. I thought Kix had a great uh, stage set, but, it, you know, seeing Night Ranger, uh, I felt like we were at a, a regular full-on concert, and uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so there were, what to clarify a little bit what she's saying, is there are two bands that came with their actual production, because both bands are out on the road, both bands play pretty normal sets with production, uh, semi-truck worth of production, stage set, etc. So two bands the entire weekend came with that. That And that was Night Ranger was one, because they have like a riser that goes behind the drum set where they can run up and get on and things like that. And then the other one was Tesla. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. They played on day two. So you can sort of tell the difference in the lighting and the the stage set itself. And, and yeah, Night Ranger rose above that for sure. Most of the other bands on the bill for the three days are what I call weekend warrior bands. So they just, they go out, they fly in and do a date somewhere and then they fly to another date and then they fly home. So they're only playing usually like Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that kind of thing. Night Ranger and Tesla are bands that are out there on the road day in, day out, still plugging away at it. So last but not least for the evening was Vince Neil. I'm just going to call it like see it. I wasn't looking forward to this that much. (laughs) Just being honest. I like Motley Crue a lot. I don't love Vince's voice. 
haven't loved his voice in a long time. And I know that's pretty, like a lot of people feel that way. I get it. I understand. So I'm not here to beat up on Vince. Uh, I'm just saying that I like Motley Crue on record, but I don't necessarily like Vince's singing live. And the other thing for me that's a little bit kind of like most of Vince's band, well, all of Vince's band is essentially Slaughter without Mark Slaughter. So it just doesn't excite me that much. Anyway, we stuck around for two or three songs and uh, talked to some great friends of ours. We ran into a lot of friends and hung out and just shot the shit with people. And Vince came on and we watched from the back of the room. And this is where that whole back of the room versus being up in it changes the acoustics. From where I was sitting uh, at the back of the room, it sounded awful to me. The music sounded fine. Vince sounded off. I feel like I should stop you because I'm not sure that Vince really sang much. And this is where I would say, I don't care a ton about the singing. Like when you're when you're going out and seeing somebody like Vince Neal, that's a nostalgia act. He's not going to have, you know, 20 year old, 30 year old Vince Neal's yeah. voice. So put on a freaking great show. Be the performer that you, that you are. And, and I felt like he came out with energy. I felt like you saw, uh, the, the Vince Neal, the performer that, uh, was always part of a Motley Crue show. So I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised because I was kind of expecting a train wreck after the videos we had seen of him walking off stage and things like that. Not walking off stage like he did uh, this night, but, uh, you know, uh, quitting <laughs> essentially in the middle of a show. So, you know, I would, I was prepared to, to enjoy it. I'm, and I just, you know, thought that uh, he was just picking his spots, right? He really wasn't singing entire songs. He had incredible backing vocals from uh, Slaughter's band. So I felt like he was doing what he needed to do as a performer, put on a show. Uh, but I don't think he was singing a ton. 100%. I will agree with that. He looked like he wanted to be there, which is a little bit different than some of the videos I'd seen in the past. So I will second that. Thank you for softening my blow because... That is a fair point to make. We didn't actually see him fall. We got back to the to the <laughs> condo and Jen pulls up Facebook and she's like, holy shit, he just fell off stage. <laughs> yeah, what's crazy is we probably were in the venue for when that happened because we had just... Uh, like Steve said, we were having a great time. We were talking to friends. It was an opportunity. So we just stepped out into that lobby area and, uh, you know, continued our conversations, hung out for a while. And then just having gotten up super early in the morning, you know, that, that day just caught up with me. So, yeah, when we headed back to the condo, I couldn't believe it because, of course, I had even said earlier, like, you know, I, there was a little bit of me that, you know, was secretly hoping for a train wreck Vince just so that I'd have something to talk about at work the next day. Nope, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the show continued because Blando and, and Dana Strum finished off the show. I think Blando did the singing or whatever, and uh, reports were that it was pretty good and that he did a decent job. So they finished out the set. It wasn't like they just ended the night right there and then. So all was well that ends well. Day one was a success to me. We had a good time. We had yep. a good time getting acquainted with people. So we get into day two, and day two kicked off with Anthony Quarter. Like we said, it was raining outside. They moved Anthony Quarter inside to this room, and he did an acoustic set. And for me, 
it came off much better. The acoustics in the room were really good, and he sounded amazing for incredible for noon. I mean, yeah. it got started at noon, and it, and he had a he had a full room. People just kept mm-hmm. coming in. I mean, that for sure was one of the highlights. I I thought he was amazing, and and it was really well done. Yeah, then we get on to Rhino Bucket. Rhino Bucket, definitely not my wife's jam. I get it. Uh, she, <laughs> they're not a band that's easy to take. I personally like the ACDC thing, and I've been a Rhino Bucket for a long time. I've enjoyed a lot of their albums, but they are just definitely very ACDC-like. And this was the first opportunity I got to see them live. So, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, if you don't know, um, Brian Forsyth from Kicks has been playing guitar in Rhino Bucket for quite a while now. So he was doing double duty with Kicks the night before and Rhino Bucket the next day. Um, but they sounded good to me. They sounded solid. But I know that the singer is not the easiest uh, singer in the world to take. So understand. <laughs> He, yeah, he looked a little curmudgeonly. I'm sure that uh, seeing as he was performing at what was probably for him the equivalent of 5 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> you know, at one in the afternoon, uh, probably wasn't his favorite. I think they're on the boat in 2021 as well, or 2022. John Crabby played another set. Uh, then Jeff Scott Soto and Jason Beeler played their first set on the big stage. And to me, this was, we've seen Soto and Beeler before and they're always entertaining, but this is the first time that I think we got to see him on a big stage with a big PA. And to me, I don't know what it was, but they, they had the sound dialed in really good because they, Sounded amazing. Oh my. Really good. God. Yeah, it's not hard at all to see why Pooney has a man crush on, <laughs> on Jeff so. Scott Soto. Uh, yeah, they both sounded amazing. Their banter is hilarious. You can tell they enjoy doing the show. You know, they have fun with each other, crack each other up. And for sure, this was this, something I, I'll go to every single time. Mm-hmm. Every time. This is Jeff Scott Soto from Sons of Apollo, and you are listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael and Hollywood Pooney. You better turn it up and keep it up.
Yeah, it's just super entertaining. I mean, it's not really a comedy act, but it is a comedy act. So they come off as comedy. But when they're being serious and just flat out singing, the talent is amazing. Like Soto, you can see why Soto is on so many people's albums as a background singer because he can, he is so precise. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. So that was amazing and so much fun. Pat Travers came on. I get Pat Travers super respected by a lot of his peers, been around and been in the business forever and a day, but he's one of those 70s acts that I just never necessarily connected with. And there's a lot of rock acts like that. Pat Travers for me is one of them. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with Pat Travers or his music. It's just something that I don't go out of my way basically to catch. He was on the Monsters of Rock Cruise. I saw him in 2019 for that. And I think I may have caught one or two songs from the back of the room when he played the Monsters on the Mountain. Uh, but it's just not necessarily my jam, right? And being the casual rock fan, right. I was ready to go to dinners. So. She basically goes where I go when this stuff's going on for the most part because she just kind of enjoys the atmosphere and everything. And it makes it easy on me because I can still kind of come and go as I want on what I want to see. We went to dinner. We came back in, in time to catch uh, some of Firehouse's set. They sounded really good. If you don't know, CJ, the singer, has been out. He just recently had a surgery. And so Andrew Freeman, who uh, normally sings with Last in Line, was singing. And Andrew Freeman's an amazing singer. He sounded awesome uh, with Firehouse. And actually, he brings a little bit something different to Firehouse that CJ doesn't have. CJ sounds awesome and is a great singer and is the voice of Firehouse. But for me, Andrew not only sounds awesome, but is a little bit more of a showman out front, a little bit more of a front man in terms of uh, moving around and getting involved with the crowd and stuff like that. And that's not to say that CJ doesn't do that. It's just different. That's all I can say is it's two different characteristics. I will definitely say that that, that set that concert level energy. There was no doubt that this next three bands like were killer. They did their job in terms of getting everybody pumped up, ready, yeah. Yeah, they they had that crowd in the palm of their hand. So like we said, day 2 Saturday was basically the headlining day of all the bands. So it was Firehouse to kick things off, then it moved to Winger, and then it moved and closed out with Tesla. So, you know, three great bands. Firehouse, like I said, was really good. Then I was looking forward to seeing Winger because I always enjoy Winger. Winger's always solid to me. The musicianship in that band alone is worth seeing. Yep. And let's see, the guitar player that normally plays with Winger, not Reb Beach, Reb was there, but the other guitar player, and I'm drawing a blank right now on who's normally there. He's also playing with Mickey Thomas and Starship, and he had gigs that he had to do for Mickey Thomas and Starship, so they've had Howie Simon filling in and how he plays with everybody a lot of times he plays with jeff scott soto so how he is a killer guitar player he was filling in for shoot i wished i could never ne remember his name anyway <laughs> i'm an idiot i'm drawing a blank <laughs> winger was awesome in my opinion they always do a great yeah. set they did a great set they did amazing night. set yep 
Kip's always solid. I, what I really like is, you know, we, we've seen uh, Kip's solo gigs. I really enjoy going and seeing Winger. I love watching Reb. I mean, he's such a passionate player and so good. I thought Howie sounded great. He sings really well uh, as well. I mean, the whole band, I, I thought they were great. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and then for the highlight of the evening, Tesla. And like we said, Tesla had full-on production. So we moved over there, and we were probably, I don't know, four rows off the off yeah. the front, right? Four rows yep, off to the right side, there. off to the front. And uh, the crowd was packed in there, and there were a lot of excited Tesla fans. <laughs> and so they were psyched to see Tesla. And Tesla, for me personally came out and didn't disappoint. They had some interesting songs in the set list. They usually keep their set list pretty fresh. I mean, there are some songs that they just do every night because they're expected. Love Song and Modern Day Cowboy and, and Signs, things like that. So, But they throw in some deeper tracks, which I always appreciate. Songs from like Bust a Nut or Forevermore. Some different, deeper tracks from those albums. And I thought they had a really, really good set that night, and they sounded amazing. Yeah. Like, to me, Jeff Keefe sounded better than he has in a few years that I've seen them, so I think maybe that rested him uh, some good, possibly. I just enjoy that show. I thought that I thought they sounded amazing. I love that they were uh, using the screen and, yeah, putting on a full show. I mean, it was no doubt a full-on show, so really excellent. Yeah, and they, they have a new uh, drummer because Troy Lachetta, uh, has uh, he agreed to take time off, and the band agreed that he could take time off. So essentially, he's on hiatus, and they had Steve Brown, filling in i guess steve brown is permanently filling in for now steve brown who is the young i think he's the younger brother of mick brown from Dokken. so wild mick brown's brother steve brown steve brown's played in a band called orleander from the 90s but he also recently did the end machine album with jeff pilson and robert mason Steve's awesome, man. Steve can really sing well and he uh, plays well. So he's he's a uh, hidden gem, I think, because he hasn't been out on the scene that much until recently. So I think they've got a really solid guy and Steve Brown filling in for Troy Lachetta. They sounded great, man. I mean, I loved Tesla's set that night. And they, they played for longer than the 50 minutes or the hour, too. They played for yeah, a, good a good hour one. and 20 minutes. So I want to say that they probably did their full normal set. Yep. Nothing more to say about that. Nope. Just good rock and roll. Perfect uh, show. Uh, day three started out with uh, Guns N' Roses tribute band Paradise Kitty. We didn't get there quite in time, and uh, I wasn't really that excited to see a cover band, so I didn't didn't care whether I was there on time or not to catch them. Randy Hansen, who's sort of like Jimi Hendrix a little bit, he played in the parking lot, which is just, he was electric. It was just him and an electric guitar, very Hendrix-esque. And then Liliac sort of opened the full day as far as, you know, straight up electric. Liliac, a lot of people like Liliac. 
And we've had them on the show before. If you're not familiar with them, they're a younger band who now base themselves out of Georgia. And they're very talented. They got a lot of talent. Uh, I think it's just going to be a matter of them really kind of honing in on who they want to be at some point. But uh, I know a lot of people dig Liliac, and they put on a, a good show. Then we moved on to Black and Blue. Thought Black and Blue had a really good, solid set. I always enjoy Black and Blue. Uh, everybody looked well. They performed well. They got a new guitar player they're breaking in. And uh, yeah, it was a solid set from Black and Blue for me. Yeah, they're not one that I uh, really knew at all from before the cruise. I mean, we saw them, I think, at the pre-party last year. And uh, these guys are, are certainly one that I'm I'm game to go back every time they play. I'm enjoying that. Yeah, I've been a big uh, fan of Black and Blues for a lot of years. I mean, I was there through the first album. And even before they put out that first album, I first heard of Black and Blue on a metal compilation tape that also contained a new band called Metallica and uh, Rat. And Metallica's name was spelled wrong on the cassette. Well, I only knew that that was a way to order your steak where they blacken it on the outside and ice cold on the inside. So, <laughs> uh, Bullet Boys were up next. This is the original Bullet Boys, all the original members, classic lineup, but back in action. Uh, they did their thing, you know. I mean, they, if you've ever seen the Bullet Boys before, that's it is what they are. So, uh, I enjoyed them. I thought they put on a solid set. There were a couple of things within the set that I would have done differently, but that's just a personal preference, more or less. Yeah, I love the Bullet Boys. I thought I thought they were great. I mean, I sometimes uh, struggle with Mark Torian and, you know, his uh, over-theatrical hand gestures and things, but uh, what's the guy's name, Lonnie? The bass player. The bass player. Lonnie. I could watch him all day long. I don't know what it is, but he is just so entertaining to me. I think they're great. Uh, I, I enjoy the performances. Yeah. We came back inside after a little bit of tailgating for Vixen and caught some of Vixen's set. Vixen is usually solid for me. I love Britt Lightning. I think she does an amazing job. And Lorraine Lewis does a fine job replacing uh, Janet Gardner now for several years. And they're just a solid band. I mean, if you're into Vixen, you'll love them live. Uh, we don't always catch their full set, but we definitely end up catching a few songs. And they're always on the Monsters of Rock cruise, so you can see them there as well. Uh, as you can tell, because I don't have the same ear for music, I get easily distracted if the performances aren't on. And uh, I have to say that I didn't get too excited usually to go see <laughs> Lorraine Lewis because when I first saw her at Farm Rock, she did this move that I used to call Rock the Baby. <laughs> some kind of random arm movement where it just looked like she was rocking a baby. Well, and I hated it. <laughs> well. <laughs> And she did. And to give you a little more reference, this is when Lorraine Lewis was part of Femme Fatale, uh, her first band. And there's a song uh, that Femme Fatale has that I think is called like Rockin' the Cradle or Rockin' the something. But, but anyway, she did it the whole show. It wasn't did. like she only did it in that song. It was the she whole did. show. She like, did. It handle. drove my wife nuts. My <laughs> wife hated it from there on. But luckily, she doesn't do that in the Vixen she set. She didn't so. do it in the Vixen set. And she sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I really, you know, I, that's one of those where you know, okay, look, you got to give somebody a, a 
second try, and so, uh, for sure, she note, won me back over. And note, now that I'm not seeing the rock the baby, I'm good. Note to self: if you happen to be on the Mort cruise and you see my wife, yeah, don't rock the baby. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Next up was Slaughter. Uh, so this was Dana Strumman and Blando uh, doing double duty. The first night didn't exactly end the way they wanted it to, but then they got another day at Redemption on day three with Slaughter, Mark Slaughter. They came out and did their thing. I mean, Slaughter is usually, you know, I mean, they're pretty consistent in what they do. I've seen Slaughter a lot. Uh, lately, so I can kind of take it or leave it. It's okay in places and places it's not okay for me, but uh, overall, they're fairly uh, solid, and I thought they sounded pretty decent. Then the end of the night was Great White or the Great Whites, as we like to call them, with Mitch Malloy at the the helm. Uh, Great White, just for me, I like Great White. I was a bigger fan of their earlier stuff when they were a little bit more metal. 
uh, and then somewhere in the middle they became a little bit more blues based and just uh, I don't know they changed a little bit over the course of time with success and I still enjoy some of it but I don't enjoy all of it and Mitch Malloy just doesn't I mean I'm just going to be honest he doesn't fit that band for me that band is Jack Russell and always will be Jack Russell's voice for me personally but people seem to enjoy it and he gets a crowd going and uh, I think overall people enjoy the great whites with Mitch Malloy at the helm. Yeah, I look, I think he puts on uh, a good performance. I think he, you know, he does his job. So <laughs> you're doing you your job. You don't like it, but, uh, you know, for me, you're putting on a show, you're singing the songs. Uh, you're not changing them up in a way that makes me not recognize it or like it. So, all right. So overall, what did you love about this um the venue. It's easy for us to get to uh, the setup with the two stages. Couldn't have been uh, nicer. I thought it was convenient, sound good, easy to deal with. I like that the lineup. I mean, it's dependable. You can count on monsters delivering, you know, 10, 12 quality acts that you're going to love. I'm disappointed that Eclipse wasn't there. Uh, you know that they're <laughs> they're one of the bands I never would have uh, found on my own, but uh, absolutely love now that you introduced me to them. But overall, they they make sure to bring the goods every time. What did you dislike about the whole event? I wouldn't say there was anything I really disliked. I, there were things that maybe weren't as sharp as I as I think they could be and you would expect that in year one so I talked a little bit about the parking lot area how do we integrate that in you know they've got this uh, really nice patio area outside the doors that was essentially being used only for a smoking area you know if they could have found a way to to use that area a little bit differently so they didn't have such a completely different experience outside than you had inside you know the pool stage always still felt like a monster's rock experience on the boat and uh, i kind of feel the same way the parking lot should still feel like you're part of the same thing and it didn't it just had a totally different vibe yeah and it was a reasonably i mean look it wasn't a mile or anything like that but it was a reasonably good walk from the leconte center to the parking lot stage uh, it was probably, I don't know, a five-minute walk, maybe. I think the issue is they just didn't have it programmed the entire time. And because it wasn't, right. you had nothing to keep you out there, and and that gave it a, a, a dead vibe. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, that would be my only message is, okay, if you're committed to that, program it. Program it like it's going to be out there yeah. the whole time. What would you like to see next year? Because they've already pretty much said, we're going to do this again in 2022 it looks like from everything that we've heard that they're going to move it from october to august of 2022 so what would you like to see them do next year maybe a little differently i think being in august that definitely changes things right for me that fall weather couldn't have been prettier so mm -hmm. having an indoor outdoor venue I like that. I was really excited they actually had outdoor stuff. I don't know. I'd probably say keep it all indoors. <laughs> keep that AC cranking and uh, make sure to bring some of those European or international bands over. That is definitely missing is, is that extra flavor. Uh, that said, bringing new bands like Native Sons, 
that's a key. You know, I think that's one of the things they do and, and program really well is they get fresh voices uh, so that it's not just a simply a nostalgia thing that, you know, you can come see these bands roll through your town at any point in time. So to me, that's a really important component that they just need to kick back up. And we understand why they couldn't get Eclipse here. We understand, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I, I think that's one of the things that Larry and crew do really, really well is finding that new talent and, and busting out bands that bring the sound that we like, mm-hmm. uh, put on a really good show uh, and fit really well into this community and, and win over new fans. So for me, what I loved was the overall LeConte Center. I loved it overall. I loved the stage setup. I loved the schedule for the most part. What I disliked is the sort of disjointed feel between the outside stage and indoors. It just seemed a little disjointed to me. I didn't like the small stage outside where, like, unless you were standing right in front, you wouldn't be able to see the performers. I also didn't like that there really wasn't much outside to keep my interest. There were a few food vendors, and that was roughly it. I think they could have done a much better job with the vendors at this event. I'm personally, I don't collect vinyl, but I know there's a lot of vinyl collectors in the rock community. I think it would have been cool if they'd have bought like vinyl vendors into the event, more rock and roll merch, that type of thing. I just think they could have done a much better job with having vendors at the event uh, more so than what they had. And what I would like to see next year is, well, one, I wish they would not move it from October. I really enjoy the October weather. So that would be the first thing. But it sounds like they've already made their decision. So August it is. Uh, and if that's the case, then I would say, yeah, don't have an outdoor venue. And if you're going to have an outdoor venue, hopefully they'll put it under a tent, the whole thing, because yep. otherwise it's going to be hot as hell in August in the mountains. So that's one thing. The other thing that I would love to see them do is if they're going to do this every year, like my wife said, I would love for them to bring in two or three European acts That would be crucial to me. And the other thing I would like to see them do is maybe don't have the same bands that you're going to have on the upcoming cruise. Because if you're a cruiser and you want to attend Monsters on the Mountain, do I need to keep seeing and paying for, you know, the same 15 bands? You know, to me, I would like to see some really different stuff happen. So it's okay that if you're going to have the Kickses and Teslas and it streams on the boat, no problem. But make Monsters on the Mountain all European or mostly European or vice versa. I just would like to see some bands that aren't on the ship be on on monsters of the mountain and vice versa i got a question for you just thinking about like one of the things that i've that i enjoy both uh on the ship and you know i noticed was was kind of prevalent here is what would you think about them having almost like a battle of the bands for some of the uh groups that maybe aren't signed to the bill but that are there i mean you saw what guys from 
Bad Marriage. Yeah. Who else did you see? Yeah, there were there were guys from Bad Marriage, guys from Kicking Valentina. There were definitely members of up and coming bands in the rock community. So. Yeah, maybe that's not a bad thing. or Because they could vie to be on the cruise. I mean, that could be a way. That would be a cool idea. That could be a way for Larry to test. And, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of there's who's the guy out of, I think he's out of Alabama that we saw on the cruise both times. I mean, they're just really cool people that you may not realize are mixing and mingling in the crowds that are amazing performers in their own right that you're not seeing on the stage. So. Even if you're not going to give them a battle of the band style thing as a way to fight their way onto the boat stages, but I think that'd be a freaking cool ass idea. I think it would be great to just, you know, have a way to interact, to let them self promote. I mean, that could be another way is, you know, a kissing booth of sorts, you know, without the actual kissing, but, uh, you know, where (laughs) you just get to. I don't know what my wife was just describing. We just went pornographic. I have no clue what's going on here. Let me bring (laughs) it back. I think it's an amazing idea. I think at every monsters on the mountain, they should have some sort of battle of the bands or five bands playing don't call it battle bands have five local bands play not necessarily local but you know what i'm saying have five bands play and have the monsters of rock attendees ticket buyers whatever vote on which band they want to see on the cruise or at the pre-party even if you don't want to put them on the cruise say this band is playing to be at the pre-party in the following year yep that's an awesome idea man yeah, I I just think I I would really enjoy that, and I just I really would enjoy finding some way to feature all these performers that are there that are walking among you. Because look, I don't recognize anybody. These are not my <laughs> my heroes. I wasn't in the scene enough, uh, so I just find it amazing. You know, the times when I'm like, oh look, Brian Wheat's actually walking around. Like that's cool. I recognize him. I would love it if I recognized some more of these other folks and knew, like, oh my gosh, this guy's with this band. It'd give you that connection and it would be good for them too. Yeah, so that's a big difference. And we'll end with this and sum this all up. We had a great time, but one of the biggest differences is the overall experience from the cruise to the monsters on the mountain. And part of it could be its post pandemic so we don't really know what it's going to be like on the ship come february but before the pandemic if you took a monsters of rock cruise you would very likely to sit down to breakfast lunch or dinner or get in an elevator or share a drink with many of the people in the bands it was amazing at monsters on the mountain you still have some accessibleness to some of the people in the bands, but they weren't necessarily as accessible as they are on the boat because there's nowhere for them to go on the boat, basically. So that was a big difference. And again, part of that is probably post-pandemic, right? People are in their bubbles, especially if they're on tour. They're staying in their bubble because they can't afford to get COVID and bring the tour to a halt. It puts a lot of people out of business if they do that. So there were no meet and greets or anything like that. 
on the cruise ship, they used to do meet and greets and you could take pictures with the bands and meet the bands. And like we said, they were around. So I think that is really one of the major differences, right? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. But uh, that said, I, you know, it, it was impressive to even see any of them out uh, and wandering through. And mm-hmm. so overall, we had a great time. We suggest that if you can't make the cruise, that you maybe look at making it to Pigeon Forge next to August and enjoy the event as a whole. It's a great way to rub elbows with people that are like minded, that are into 80s hair bands and rock and roll and that type of stuff. And if you can make a cruise, we said we were going to do one cruise, and that was three cruises ago. So there you go. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Cheers. Hopefully that helps you guys with uh, your decision making, and hopefully it sheds some light on the event as a whole. And that was the purpose. Thank you, Jennifer, for joining us. Hey, we'll see you in the next episode of the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Cheers. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 